podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. good boys and girls two-footed podcast on monday the 13th of june brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location access things you're geoblocked from while also keeping your data safe go to libertyshield.com use the code epl25 that's epl25 to get 25 percent off at checkout we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for all your football merchandising needs. Right, folks, it is a big day. Manchester City have announced the signing of Erling Haaland. And we await Liverpool's announcement of their signing of Darwin Nunes. Benfica have announced that that deal is done. Liverpool are just going through the formalities, but City have done the formalities and Haaland is a blue. City have said it's an undisclosed fee. The most common fee out there is £65 million. Now, there is a fee of £51 million floating around. That has solely come from Fabrizio Romano and isn't worth considering. The buyout on Haaland was long said to be £75 million. Most reports suggest that that's what City have paid, plus some add-ons to get the deal done a little bit early. Look, that's the price of a... That's below the price of, of, of a number nine like him. It's below what he's actually worked when we consider his potential and what we've seen him do. Now, of course, Haaland comes with massive other costs attach, attached. You're talking 30 million to the agent, 20 million to the father, 20 million to him, a 20 million pound salary for the next five years. You're talking well over £200 million of an investment on Erling Haaland. And the flaw in it is it comes with a buyout clause. Haaland wouldn't sign for City without a buyout clause. He wants to be able to control his own future. And he also doesn't want to commit long-term somewhere where he's unsure of who the manager will be. So there's obviously a lot of talk that Pep will leave in the next couple of years. I think his contract is actually up at the end of next season. So Haaland is putting in place the potential of a move elsewhere should Pep walk away. So what will Haaland bring to City? Well, obviously he brings goals. He brings someone to lead the line. He's a great physical presence. He's very quick. He's very powerful. He's very direct. He's explosive. The ball absolutely flies off his foot. Seeing a player generate that much power is very, very rare. 
he will give City something that they haven't had before, that big number nine. Now, Guardiola in his career has worked with Lewandowski, and obviously that went very, very well. He worked with Zlatan, and that went less well. Now, that was more down to a personality clash between Zlatan and Messi, where Zlatan didn't realise that Messi was the best player in the room, thought he was, and Messi pushed back, and Pep sided with Messi. But Pep has worked with number nines before. Now, City traditionally have played 4-3-3, but we did see last season, more often City moved to a 4-2-3-1, with Kevin De Bruyne taking that more attacking midfield, number 10 type position, possibly in part to save his legs, asking him to do less defensive work. And City have had, well, had good options in that double pivot. Rodri obviously outstanding, and Bernardo Silva and Gundogan both able to play with him. You had the Fernandinho option if needed. He's gone. They'll need to find a replacement for him. But the other three are still there. So I'm expecting that next season we do see more 4-2-3-1. Rodri, Bernardo, KDB in front of them. That leads to the questions of who will be the wingers? So who's going to supply Erling Haaland? When we look at Haaland and we see the types of goals he gets, he does score a wide range of goals. But one of the most common types of goals is that ball slung in behind the defence from deep and him bursting onto it, holding off a defender and putting it past the goalkeeper. We see him score a lot from crosses as well. City aren't a team that crosses a ton. We get a lot of cutbacks with City. We get a lot of low balls into the box with City. We don't get many crosses from deeper areas. De Bruyne is obviously world-class in that regard, but unless he's playing in those areas, he's not there to do that. Jack Canseo is a very good cross for the ball, but neither of them are City's wingers. Canseo, we'd imagine, will be left back. Kyle Walker will be right back. That's the standard for City. So who will be the wingers? Now, my guess is Phil Foden will play on the left. Foden showed at times this season an outstanding level of performance when played on the left-hand side. His performance at Anfield, admittedly it was against James Milner, was one of the best I saw all season. He's a great cross for the ball. He's obviously a super intelligent player. He's a great dribbler. He doesn't have lightning pace, but he is quick. So he could be the option there. So who's the option on the other side? Well, it could be Riyad Mahrez. We've seen him play with a target man number nine when he was at Watford and they were playing the two up front. Vardy off the Japanese striker whose name is just going to completely escape me. Okazaki. Okazaki is exactly him. Um, They also had a Choya there at the same time. So, yeah, Okazaki is the one. And Mares had a great knack of cutting back inside from the right and slinging those crosses into the box, which Okazaki would attack and Vardy would pick up the pieces. So Mares could be one option. Raheem Sterling could be an option, but he's not a traditional winger. He's not a particularly good crosser of the ball. And if you play him really wide, are you going to get the best from him when he can't drive in field? If you're playing Sterling wide in a 4 2 3 one You'd normally look to play him on the left, but Phil Foden is better there. 
Sterling's best role has always been tucked in in a 4-3-3. On the right-hand side in a 4-3-3, tucked in narrow. So I don't know if there's a spot in this team for Sterling moving forward. Mares may be the best option. Now, of course, then that leads to the question of what happens to Jack Grealish. Well, playing a 4-2-3-1, you could use Grealish as the 10 and push KDB wide to the right. So that could be an option for them either. But it's going to take some readjustment for City in terms of the automations in their team, the patterns of play that they've established. Haaland will score goals if you get to the byline and cut back. He'll find space. He's powerful enough to outmuscle defenders and he'll get space and he'll get on the end of them. But you also want to be able to play that quick ball to him. Now, I'm not talking about spamming crosses in his head. I'm talking about playing crosses in behind the defence for him to run onto and strike. He's a very good volleyer of the ball. He's got a very good controlled volley. He's decent in the air. He's not spectacular in the air. He's not, he's not say, Victor Simeon in the air. He's not that level in the air. But he is decent enough. And with his size, as he gets older, as he gets a bit stronger, because that is going to happen, despite the fact he's already a monster, you will see him improve in the air as well. But I'm talking about those whipped balls in behind the defence for him to just explode onto. That's what City are going to need to bring into the game that they don't have or they haven't needed to have. City haven't played with someone like him. The strikers they've had while Guardiola has been there have been Aguero and Gabriel Jesus. They're both small, they're both nippy. It's more of a ball to feet with them. They're excellent at finding those little half yards of space in the box for those cutbacks. And they could get the shot away very, very quickly. Haaland's biggest flaw might be that his, his shot is its quite a slow motion. The ball explodes once he makes contact, but he, ha- he has to throw his leg back quite a distance. So it's an unusual kicking technique when you watch Haaland just leather a ball. He doesn't get his shot away super quickly unless it's a, a volley type of situation and he's just passing it into the corner. If he wants to generate power, there's a little glitch in it that's not what City have been used to. He needs a bit more space to get that shot off. So I think we'll see City move more to the 4-2-3-1, but I do wonder who the, the right winger will be. I'd be fairly certain KDB will be the 10 and Foden will be the left winger. But who that right winger is remains to be seen. And I think they've got to make sure that they remember they're playing with Erling Haaland and not an Aguero, not a Jesus. They can't expect him to do the things those other players did. Now, one good thing for everybody is this will put an end to the nonsense about, well, City haven't had a number nine in years. Gabriel Jesus does exist. Just because Pep decided he didn't exist and then decided he was a right winger doesn't mean he's not a striker. He has always been a striker. If you watched him play in Brazil, if you watched him play when he first joined City, he is a striker. He's a number nine. Um, And I think he will obviously move on this summer and go and have success elsewhere. But City have had the option of playing a striker. Guardiola made a decision not to play with a striker. That was his decision. 
Nobody else's. Haaland will fill the void. The thing is, Haaland's probably going to get, I would estimate he'll get somewhere in the region of 18 to 23 Premier League goals next season. He's going to find it a lot more difficult to score in the Premier League than he has in previous leagues. He was in the Bundesliga of Austria, which, if we're being honest, is not exactly a strong league. There's a couple of good teams. And below that, it's probably like the bottom half of the championship or even the top half of League One. Then he was in the Bundesliga. And obviously, he's done very, very well in both. And obviously, the Bundesliga is one of the six best leagues in Europe. However, we have seen players do incredibly well in the Bundesliga come across to the Premier League and not do as well. Kai Havertz, Jaden Sancho, Timo Werner, players like that. So there's going to be a period of settling in for Haaland. There's going to be a period where he's having to get used to the fact that defenders in England are a lot more physical than the defenders in the Bundesliga and that he's not just going to be able to flat-out bully them. Now, he will be able to bully some of them, but you even put up average defenders in the Premier League. Like, take a Michael Keane, for example. He's an average defender. But from a physical standpoint, Michael Keane will be able to deal with Erling Haaland strength versus strength. Now, he won't be able to cope with him pace versus pace. And that's where Haaland is really going to have to make some changes to his game. He's got that pace. But he doesn't rely on it massively. He's not like a, a Kylian Mbappe type. He's got the strength and he does like that physical 1v1 thing with defenders where he can just sort of drop a shoulder into them and see them flail on the floor. There's one quite famous moment of him trying to do that to a Premier League defender and him ended up sprawling on the floor. That was against Virgil van Dijk. Now, there's only one Virgil van Dijk, but you'd look around the league and there's some very physical defenders, some very strong defenders in this league who won't be at all shy about going man v man with Haaland. They might not have his pace, but from a physicality point of view, they will be able to match him and he'll have to adapt to that. He can't just flat track bully this league the way he did the Bundesliga. We saw Romelu Lukaku, who for me, Lukaku at Inter significantly better as an all-round player than Haaland at Dortmund. And we saw what happened when Lukaku came back to the Premier League. Now, some of that's motivation. Some of that's obviously just a bad fit. But unless you've got multiple strings to your bow, Premier League defenders will start to figure you out. And Premier League managers will start to figure you out. And they'll game plan for you. Premier League managers all over right now are starting to game plan for Erling Haaland. And it may well be that he gets a really good start to the season. And then the second time round, when they've seen a bit more of him, teams start to slow him down a bit. It may well be the opposite. It may well be that teams come out ready and confident in how to play him, that he struggles. But then as he figures it out, he gets more of a look at defenders understands what schemes player uh, teams are using against him, understands what coverage is there, understands where the space is, then he starts to have a better second half of the season.
could go either way. He is a smart player. That's the one thing I'll give him. Well, I give him, I, I, I give him a lot of praise. I, I, I do think he's a, a special forward, but I do think he's a, quite a smart player. And I think you can see that in how he's managed his career. The fact that he was at Molde, he could have gone anywhere. He made the decision to go to Salzburg, knowing what a good proving ground that was, knowing that already at Salzburg, there were a couple of other very high profile, very talented young players like Dominic Zabozlai. From there, the easy move was Leipzig. The clever move was Dortmund. The clever move was Dortmund because higher profile, more of a proven long-term track record of raising the value of players exponentially and then selling them on. I mean, Dortmund have been doing that for years. Leipzig are, are outstanding and it, don't get me wrong, but Dortmund have the proven track record. And Dortmund were willing to give him a buyout clause, which Leipzig weren't. So again, he was controlling his own future because he knew that if his trajectory continued as it was, if he stayed on track and avoided injury, like serious injury, he's obviously had a few injuries, hamstrings and a couple of knee issues, but he's avoided serious injury, that by the time that buyout clause became active, every club in Europe would be willing to pay it, which was the case. And then he could pick where he went. Now, obviously, his first choice was Real Madrid, but they dicked him around. They were far too focused on Mbappe, and he made a decision that, well, if you don't have me as your primary focus now, I'll go somewhere else. But he also included Dubai because his end game is Real Madrid. It's as simple as that. His end game is Real Madrid. I think we'll see Haaland at City for two years. And I think then he goes on to Real. The only things that could stop that are he just settles in and, and loves life there. Pep signs on long term. And maybe then they, they redo his contract and take the buyout out of it. Or he suffers more injuries. Now, it is a concern that he's already having muscular injuries at his age with his physical builds. That is something that would worry me. With how explosive he can be, if there's a risk of recurring muscular injuries, that is concerning. Is he a good enough player to adapt if his pace is no longer a real option for him? Like Michael Owen, when he came through at Liverpool, was otherworldly. His pace was incredible, but he was a really clever player. He was a great finisher, good dribbler, always able to find space and ruthless in front of goal. Even as a kid, Owen was ruthless in front of goal. When Owen's pace went, which happened real early because his hamstring basically exploded and wasn't treated properly, Owen had to readjust his game. Now, he was still a very good goal scorer because he was a very good player and a very smart player, technically very proficient. 
So Owen was able to adapt and continue to score a lot of goals. Now, as we all know, by the time he was kind of 26, 27, his career was done and dusted. But that was other injuries that followed on. I'm talking about that first serious hamstring injury. He was able to adapt to it. Is Haaland good enough, technically proficient enough to do that? I feel like he might be. There's definitely areas that need to be improved. His touch can be a bit loose. His passing can be a bit erratic. His decision-making isn't always what you'd want it to be. But the bottom line is the kid's been raised to be a number nine. He's been raised to be a goal scorer. And his first thought every time he gets the ball is, where is the goal and how hard can I put this ball in that direction? When he gets the ball, there's one thought in his mind. Now, that's going to have to change at City because of how selfless Pep wants his players to be. But I do think there's lots of scope to improve the areas of weakness he has now so that in the coming years, if it becomes a case where he can't always work on those sprints, if it's a case where he can still hit the same high speed, he just can't do it in the volume. That's what Owen said. Owen said that once or twice a game, he could really open up and go. But he would have to pick and choose those moments. And Ryan Giggs was the same. If you remember Ryan Giggs early in his career, a lot of hamstring injuries. Then think of Ryan Giggs at 28, 29. Still lightning quick, but not always. Giggs became far more inventive, became a much better passer of the ball, really expanded his game intelligence, didn't overly rely on that pace, didn't always need to beat the man to get the cross in, could work a bit of space and sling the cross around them, something he took from Beckham. If Haaland can adjust his game accordingly, he can minimise his own risk of injury. Now, City aren't going to play a counter-attacking style because it's not Pep. So he's not going to have to sprint in the same capacity that he has at past cl- clubs. Because Leipzig would have, you know, 50-55% of the ball, or Dortmund rather, 50-55% of the ball a lot of the time. But in some games, they might only have 35-40%. And they'd spring counter-attacks. And Haaland would lead a lot of those. The ball over the top would be automatic to him. At City, different demands, so potentially less stress on his body. And if so, that's a good thing for him. There's no way this transfer doesn't work out as a success for City in terms of what he will bring them on the pitch. Now, is he going to bring them a Champions League is ultimately how everything at City needs to be judged. He may well be the difference. He may well be what City have lacked to get over that line, but it's an awful lot of pressure to put in a young player. And to be fair, there is a second thing City have lacked that he doesn't solve. Mentality. City are great frontrunners until the pressure's on. And then they do have a habit of getting wobbly. So we'll see. All things considered, City fans should be very happy about the move. 
But let's not try and downplay how expensive this move is. 65 million for the 10 in in add-ons, 20 to the father, 20 to him, 30 to Mino Riola's agency. That's 145 million. Before wages, which are 20 million a year minimum. Could be more. Could be more. But 20 million a year minimum. It's another 100 million over five years. That's 245 million. Guaranteed. Plus bonuses as and when he hits certain goal targets, as and when he hits certain appearance targets, as as and when City win things, he's going to earn more than that. So City are paying an enormous premium to have this kid. And it may well be that in two years, he's up and off again. Now, we don't know what the buyout clause will be or is. I'm sure it'll come out at some point. But it's going to be less than his market value. Now, the difference between City and Dortmund is City don't care because City don't need the money. Dortmund will be upset with themselves to have lost him for 65 million plus some add-ons because, well, I mean, they got 72 plus add-ons for Sancho last summer. Haaland is more valuable than Sancho, and I really like Sancho, but Haaland's a number nine, and number nines are just more valuable than wingers. So City won't care, but it could be a case where in two years he's up and gone, and City have spent all of that money Less three years of contract, so you take 120 million, or you take 60 million off, so you're at about 185 million, and their return on that could be 90 million. Again, City don't care, but it is just something to consider. Likewise, for Liverpool, they need to consider the fact that they are spending a big, big amount of money on Darwin Nunes. And they haven't used a traditional number nine. And this is the thing. While people have been talking about, oh, well, City have scored this amount of goals without a number nine. They did have a number nine. They just chose to use them elsewhere. Liverpool's only number nine was Divock Origi. So he's the only number nine that's been at the club since Daniel Sturridge left. This is the first time Jurgen Klopp has signed a number nine since joining Liverpool when he took over he inherited Divock, he inherited Benteke, and he inherited Sturridge. He hasn't bought one since. So this is a change in tact for Liverpool as well. However, stylistically, Nunes fits easier in the Liverpool team than Haaland does in the City team. Liverpool don't really need to change much of anything to accommodate Darwin Nunes. The way Liverpool play is already set up for a player like him. Now, what we may see is a change in shape, but stylistically, systemically, they're going to be the same. The shape is all that might change. Last season, Liverpool, according to the television graphic, played 4-3-3. But in truth, if you watch Liverpool play, they played either 4-2-3-1 or 4-2-4. When Henderson or Keita were the quote-unquote right-sided eight, they played it as number 10s. And Fabinho and Thiago played in a double pivot. 
Henderson would use that role to drift wide right. And Salah would tuck a little bit inside. But he would often play just off the striker. And it wasn't just on the ball. It was off the ball as well. Go and watch Liverpool in the second half of last season and watch them press opposition defenders. And watch who the primary presser in central areas is. It's either Jordan Henderson or Naby Keita, depending on which one is starting. So Liverpool have been playing this shape. And maybe now they will commit to this shape, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-2-4. Because when Harvey Elliott played at the start of the season in the right-sided role, and the times when Henderson played there, they basically played it as a right winger. And Salah moved central as a second striker. So that is something Liverpool could consider if they bring in a right winger this summer. If they were to go and bring in Rafinha, for example, and play Rafinha right with Harvey Elliott as backup, Diaz left with Fabio Carvalho as backup, Nunes and Salah through the middle, one up, one off, with Firmino and Jota as the backups, that's a really good eight. Then you get Fabinho and Thiago, Henderson and Keita. You'd like one more in midfield, You'd like to have five you could trust in there. But all things considered, that works really well for them. Now, if it's 4-2-3-1, they still need to bring somebody in. We, we know that Liverpool's next move is going to be someone in midfield. It's just a matter of whether it's someone who's going to play the right-sided midfield role as a right winger or as a 10. Is it a Harvey Elliott type? Is it an Abby Cater type? If it's 4-2-3-1, then Salah stays right, Diaz is left, and somebody behind Darwin Nunes. But those are things Liverpool have been doing anyway. Those shapes they've been using anyway. The system is there, the style is there. Liverpool play a lot of quick ball into the feet. Liverpool play a lot of quick ball in behind. Trent Alexander-Arnold is basically a cheat code in that from anywhere on the pitch, he can stick the ball on the header of the foot of the number nine. Now, he's been doing that to Firmino, to Jota and to Mane. And as good as all of those players are, they're not number nines. None of them. Jota's a wide player. Mane's a wide player. Firmino's a 10. They all got converted into different positions by Klopp. But Darwin Nunes is an out-and-out nine. Instinctively, he's an out-and-out nine. Physically, he's an out-and-out nine. And the physical side of things is what Mane, who's strong as an ox, but doesn't have Darwin's size, doesn't have his build. Jota's strong, but again, doesn't have the size or build. Firmino has a size or build, but isn't as strong as Darwin. Isn't as quick as Darwin. Darwin is what Liverpool have been looking for. As the team has evolved, it's almost gone full circle. When Klopp arrived, he played 4 2 3 1. He has at times tried to get back to that. Summer 2018 tries to buy Nabil Fakir, bringing in Keita, bringing in Fabinho. Very clear plan. Fabinho, Keita, double pivot. Fakir right, Firmino 10, Mane left wing, Salah as the nine. Klopp spoke in pre-season about how the forwards were all going to have a different role this season. And that was it. Mane was going to go from left-sided forward to left wing. 
Salah was going from right-sided forward to nine. Firmino was going from nine to ten. And Fakir was the final piece in that. It fell apart. They bought Shakiri, kind of a poor man's version. But the run of games where Shakiri played on the right in that shape, Liverpool were brilliant. And Salah was brilliant. The only one that actually struggled, funnily enough, was Firmino. But Klopp has been trying to get back to 4-2-3-1 for a while. And every so often in-game, he would go to 4-2-3-1 because it's something he knows, something he trusts. It was 4-2-3-1 with which he had all the success with Bayern Munich or with Borussia Dortmund. And if you look at Darwin and you look at early Lewandowski, there's a lot of similarities. About the same size, but the same build. Darwin's probably stronger. Lewandowski might have had a little bit more in, well, he did have a little bit more in terms of link up play, but in terms of movement, Lewandowski used to be rapid in behind. There's a lot of similarities there. And Klopp is the one that made Lewandowski what he is today. And even Lewandowski has said that multiple times since joining Bayern. Without Klopp, he wouldn't be where he is. If Klopp can do similar to Darwin, who's starting off at a higher point than Lewandowski was back then, he could be a very special player. But when you factor in Trent, top five crosser in the world, Andy Robertson, top 10 crosser in the world, the volume of crosses that Liverpool produce already, Salah's a good crosser. Darwin's going to get a lot of service in the air and in behind. And as I said, you've got Trent as that cheat code for the ball over the top. Van Dijk is also quite proficient at that ball over the top. And there's Thiago in midfield, who's proficient at the ball in behind. Darwin's going to get a lot of opportunities to run onto balls that are already part of how Liverpool play. There's not a whole lot of changing that needs to happen. There's flexibility there now in what they can do. If he does want to line up with just a traditional 4-3-3, Darwin enables that. If he wants to go to the 4-2-3-1 he was using a lot of last season, Darwin enables that. If he wants to go 4-4-2, Darwin enables that too. Darwin and Salah as a partnership could be perfect. Darwin has played in a two. Darwin could also play left wing in the 4-3-3 because he's done it before. So in game, if Klopp wanted, he could shift. If, if they line up with Salah, Darwin, Diaz, in game, you could shift it, put Diaz to the right, Darwin to the left, put Salah through the middle. And all three players are accustomed to playing in those roles. So the Nunes signing gives Liverpool a lot of flexibility. Now, again, the price needs to be talked about. So Darwin Nunes is costing Liverpool £64 million plus add-ons. Those add-ons will bring the fee to £85 million. Now, about £12 of them are based on appearances and things like that. And about £8 of them are based on Liverpool winning the Champions League and Premier League. If Liverpool win a Champions League with Darwin Nunes, then the signing is a success. That's how it works. If you win the Champions League, all else is forgiven. If that guy is key to you winning that tournament, that, that competition, 
it's a success. It just is. Because that's what it, what it's all about at the end of the day, is winning the major prizes. 64 million is high for Darwin Nunes off one season in Portugal. But, but one great season in Portugal. The season before, though, I do think can be written off a little bit because he did have knee surgery at the end of the season. He did play with that knee pain throughout the year. At Almiri, the season before, when he was playing pain-free, he was outstanding. And the Secunda division is better than the Austrian Bundesliga. So I would be as impressed with what Darwin did at Almeria as what Haaland did at Red Bull Salzburg. Now, you can argue that the Bundesliga is a stronger league than the Portuguese league, but is there much of a difference? Like, if we're, if we're all being honest, the Premier League is one, La Liga is two. Then there's a gap. And then it's Serie A. And then there's another gap. And the Bundesliga, the Portuguese league, and the French league are all very similar. In terms of level, they're all very similar. So I don't know how much of a difference there is. What I do know is Ruben Diaz, Luis Diaz, Bruno Fernandes all came across to the Premier League from the Portuguese League in recent times and all hit the ground running. And we're all outstanding straight away. Jaden Sancho, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner came from the Bundesliga and all of them have struggled. Now, Kai did win Chelsea at Champions League. So that signing is a success, but he has struggled. He is not the same player as he was when he was at Leverkusen. He just isn't. Now, Ibu Kanate came across and was outstanding, but he was really slowly brought into the team by Liverpool. Barely played in the league pre-Christmas. So, it's not a flawless methodology, but there is some evidence that it's an easier transition from the Portuguese league into the Premier League than it is from the Bundesliga into the Premier League. Now, I expect Haaland to be a success, but I think Nunes is going to be a success as well. And I think while Haaland may outscore him, I think Darwin might overall be a better player. Now, there will be a school of thought that because someone scores more goals, they're the better player. That's nonsense. That's the type of mindset that has seen us still having debates about Cristiano or Messi, despite Messi being a vastly superior player. Well, Cristiano scores more goals. Well, first of all, he doesn't really. And second of all, Messi does that and also does everything else. I think Darwin can do more of the other stuff than Haaland can. So, look, I think it's really exciting for the Premier League to get these two outstanding young forwards, 22, 23 years of age, coming into the league. There is the potential for you know a great rivalry, a Van Nistelrooy versus Henri type of thing. So everybody should be pleased. But while being pleased, acknowledge what's being paid for the players. Acknowledge that one is a better fit than the other. 
and just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I will go through the gossip. We've got, I think, three days worth. And then um, that'll be us for today. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So as things stand, we've got no other real transfer news. Obviously, Spurs have been heavily linked with a move for Dow for uh, Richarlison from Everton. I, I can't really wrap my head around it, to be totally honest with you. I think he's a decent player. There's no question he's a good player. There's, there's a lot to like about his game. There's not a lot to like about the personality, but there's a lot of like, lot to like about the game. But he doesn't start for Spurs. Like, he's not getting in on the left over Son. He's not getting in through the middle over Kane. You wouldn't imagine he's going to get in on the right over Kulisevsky, who's been so important to Spurs since arriving. So what is he? Well, he's the backup to Son and to Kane. He allows you to sell Bergvine, potentially Mora, and now you've got him as the backup to these two. And then Brian Hill potentially is the backup to Kulisevsky. So that's a good idea. That's good planning. Now you've got a, you've got three for two positions. You should be happy with that. Three quality players, two of them world-class, and then Richarlison for two positions. But 60 million for a backup? Now, I, I get that he'd play quite a bit, but 60 million for someone that's not an automatic starter in your team? You're Spurs. You're not Chelsea or, or United or, or City. You don't have that type of money. So I don't get where the logic would be for Spurs. Now, it may well be that Everton's financial situation means they have to sell for less. So we'll have to wait and see. But I do feel like Everton are going to lose both Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin and probably for less than what they would want for either of them which is unfortunate for Everton, but could be beneficial for other clubs looking to bring those players in. But still, I can't wrap my head around 60 million or the idea of 60 million for a Charleston. 60 million for a Charleston at any club, it would be obnoxiously poor. You know, he's a 40 million pound player maximum. Everton hugely overpaid. They paid 45 million or whatever it was for a 20 million pound player. Now he's probably in that, 35 to 40 million pound range. So 60 million for him is just silly, but I can see the logic from a playing point of view, but not when you're Spurs and you don't have that much money to spend. If you had a better squad already and you didn't have as many needs as you do, then it was a, fi a final touch. We have almost a perfect squad. This is the last thing we need. Great, do that. But you need centre-backs, you need full-back, we do a little bit of help in goal and you know you're not exactly perfect in midfield as well so you've got a lot to do bringing in Richarlison wouldn't be a priority for me um speaking of Brazilian forwards Gabriel Jesus who I mentioned earlier on looks like he may well leave Manchester City he's been strongly linked to Spurs um he's been strongly linked to Arsenal obviously he's been linked recently to Everton uh, to Chelsea Everton, as if Everton could afford him. Uh, he's been linked to, to Chelsea. He's also been linked to Newcastle, but he won't go there. He 
will want European football. He won't go to Newcastle. No disrespect, but you're just not in that kind of market yet. Um, so this got me thinking about, well, how does he fit at these clubs? So again, at Spurs, is he a starter? I don't think he is. I don't think he is because he's not as good a wide player as Kulosevsky. And he's just not as good a player as Son or Kane. So he's a squad player. He's a starter at Arsenal, without question. He's their number nine. However, let's think back with Arsenal. Arsenal spent six months trying to sign Vlahovic. And it was very clear early on that he had no interest in the move, that he wanted to go to Juventus. But Arsenal kept plugging away and plugging away and never got close to signing him. And then they pivoted and they went for Alexander Isak. And at the time they went for Isak, they were linked to other strikers. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was one. Ivan Tony was another. Victor Asimian, Darwin Nunes. Traditional number nines. Physical, tall, traditional number nines. Gabriel Jesus, from a profile point of view, is a very, very different player to any of them. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting he's not. But he's not a he's not a line-leading number nine. He's the type of number nine that makes sense if you play the way City play, which is ostensibly how Arsenal want to play. But I have to wonder, if, if he's what who you want... Why on earth were you looking at target man type strikers? Or if a target man striker was what you wanted, why are you now looking at Gabriel Jesus? You could go and buy Alexander Isak, pay his buyout. You could buy Ivan Tone. You could buy Calvert-Lewin. You could get those guys. And they're about your level, where you are now, without question. Isak potentially could be the best number nine in the world. The talent is all there. It's just a matter of whether or not he can unlock it all. You put him with Sack and Smith Rowe and Martinelli and Odegaard, and all of a sudden it might make his life a lot easier. Now he does play with quality players at Real Sociedad, but one of the best players he played with while he been, has been there was Martin Odegaard, who he had a great understanding with. So I don't understand why you wouldn't go and buy him. So I think he would join you, unlike the likes of Darwin and Osimian. I don't think the Champions League, or lack thereof, would be a deal killer. I think he would move to Arsenal at this point in time. And if a target man type, a traditional number nine, is what you're looking for, then he's far more fitting of that role than Gabriel Jesus. And let's not pretend you have the money to go and buy both. For Gabriel Jesus as well, I actually the best move is Chelsea. And my logic in this is I think if you're going to get the very, very best at Gabriel Jesus, you want to play him in a two. I don't think he's fully comfortable as a sole number nine. I think he needs to play in a two. And I think him and Kai Havertz in a two could be very interesting. You put Mason Mountain behind them in either your 3-4-1-2 or in a 4-3-1-2. 4-3-1-2 would be preferable because it would allow you to get 
maybe Conor Gallagher into midfield with Kovacic plus one, be it Kante, be it Jorginho, whoever. For now, probably Jorginho with Kante starting instead of Gallagher, but Gallagher playing a lot of minutes in rotation with him and, and Kovacic. So you could do that, but your issue is you don't have the centre-backs to do it. Um, in your 3-4-1-2, your midfield is a little uglier. You will get a bit more from your full-backs because they, they do enjoy playing in those wing-back roles. And you're less reliant on individual centre-backs because system over individuals when you play a back three. I think Gabriel Jesus playing with a creative player like Kai with the type of delivery. Now, not to say he wouldn't get good service at Arsenal because he clearly would. I mean, the type of delivery from Reese James and from Ben Chilwell, that more accurate, quick pace delivery. Reese James, while not Trent, very, very good passer and can put a ball pretty much anywhere he wants. Ben Chilwell, super accurate crosser of the ball. Arsenal's fullbacks don't really bring accurate service. Martinelli's not a creator. Odegaard and Saka are, but a lot of this kind of slip balls through the lines. Again, Gabriel Jesus would do well with that. I just think he'd do a bit better with what he'd get at Chelsea from Kai and in particular from Reese James. Plus, I think he would suit better playing in that too. I think a front two just is... It hides his weaknesses... But I think it emphasizes his strengths. His strengths are he's got very good movement. He's very good at little one-twos in and around the box. Little give and go. He's very good at disguised balls around the corner. What he struggles with is he struggles with the physicality. So if he's playing as the lone nine, there are going to be moments in the game where his team need him to be an outball. And not just chasing a ball over the top into the channels. They're going to need to put it into his feet and have him hold off defenders. And that's where he struggles. But Kai is very good in that regard. Kai's not a muscular figure, but he's a big frame. 6'2", 6'3", got decent width in the shoulders. He can put himself into defenders, hold the ball off. And he's got a length to himself where he can pin a defender on his right shoulder obviously being left-footed, extend the left foot and have the ball two yards from that defender and hold them off and wait for someone to come into the play. Gabriel Jesus isn't good in that regard, but with Kai and him, I think that type of partnership, and you add a runner like Mason Mount from midfield, I think he'd get a ton of goals. So for me, Jesus makes more sense for Chelsea than he does for Arsenal, who I think should try and buy Isak. And I don't think... I don't think Spurs is the right move for Jesus. Now, for Spurs, Jesus would be an interesting piece. But I think if he wants to play every game, I think Chelsea or Arsenal make more sense. And stylistically, positionally, Chelsea makes more sense. Right. Let's finish up with today's gossip. We have touched on the main strikers that could be moving. So... Uh, Arsenal are willing to pay more than £42 million for Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. I don't think they will be. Um, Paul Pogba has not yet completed his free transfer to Paris Saint-Germain and is waiting to see if Zinedine Zidane is appointed the PSG coach. And it does look like 
this is what we're going to get is Zizou in Paris. So if he goes there, yeah, I, I kind of think Pogba might well follow him. And I think we might see certain other French players end up there as well. Uh, Jules Koundé being one. Meanwhile, PSG are still trying to convince yeah, Zidane to take over from Pochettino, who's leaving the club. Sevilla say Jules Koundé is looking to leave the club with Chelsea expected to sign him. I think that changes. I also don't know that Chelsea are going to be willing to spend the buyout clause of Jules Koundé. Uh, Manchester City, are, or sorry, AC Milan are the latest club to show interest in Manchester City for Gabriel Jesus. Um, I don't like him leading the line in the 4-2-3-1. So I, I, if I was him, I, I would swerve that. Although it is Milan, so, you know. Uh, Arsenal are set to announce the signing of 19-year-old Brazil forward Marquinhos from Sao Paulo on a five-year contract for about three million. If you're wondering why it's so cheap, he was out of contract soon. Uh, meanwhile, Arsenal are among the clubs considering a move for Rafinha, with Barcelona, Man, Man United, Chelsea, and Liverpool all linked as well. Eddie and Kethia's contract r- runs out at the end of June, but the Gunners remain in talks over a new deal. There's been reports that that contract is agreed, so we'll wait and see. Um, new Chelsea owner Todd Bowley's relationship with Jay-Z's Rock Nation Sports could be Keith future from Lukaku. Right. Uh, Inter have still not made that's the spoofer. AC Milan have backed away from Sven Botman after Newcastle increased their offer. It's interesting. Senegal centre-back Kaladu Koulibaly wants to leave Napoli to join Barcelona. Uh, but we'll join up with the Serie A side for preseason. Look, Barca can't afford them, so, you know. Brentford have made an official approach to Bologna for Aaron Hickey. I don't think they have. Left-back is a strength of theirs. They need a right-back. Hellas Verona are set to take up their purchase option on Giovanni Simeone and then sell him, and that's a good decision. I think he'd do quite well in the Premier League. He's bustly, he's aggressive, he's a decent finisher, good in the air. I think he'd do quite well. He can play in a, as, on his own or on a two. Uh, Sporting Lisbon's Joe Polina remains a key target for Wolves this summer, despite Fulham's interest in the midfielder. He'd be a great signing for either club. Either club. Newly promoted Nottingham Forest are targeting Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Could make a lot of sense for them either in central midfield replacing James Garner or at right wing back replacing Jed Spence. Uh, Tottenham have agreed a deal to buy Jed Spence. So this is hilarious. This was in The Guardian. I can't think of the journalist's name. He wasn't someone well known. And then the spoofer, who also works, uh, work. I use work in a very loose manner here, works for The Guardian, came out and said, no, it's not true. So, you know, you get things that are just funny at times. Uh, Rangers want up to 25 million for Calvin Bassey and Aston Villa could use Cameron Archer as a make weight. That's a lot of money for a young, unproven centre-back. I know he had a really good run in the Europa League, but Jesus, what, 25 million. Fulham are close to finalising a deal for Thomas Strakosha. Uh, They're also been linked to Bernard Leno, I think. 
Uh, Miguel Almiron's agent does not think the Paraguayan will leave Newcastle. Uh, it's probably because there's no offers for him. Uh, Liverpool have opened talks with Naby Keita over a new contract. Manchester United have offered fresh terms to Martin Zvidersky, but the Slovakian midfielder is still set to depart the club. Um, Wales forward Gareth Bale says he will not be joining, joining Hitafe this summer. I thought he was really disrespectful. Really disrespectful. He started laughing. You're not going to get many better offers, son. So I'd park the ego a little bit. You're not exactly a wanted quantity at this point. Manchester United will join the race to sign Robert Lendot. No, they won't. Paris Saint-Germain are also interested in Robert Lendot. No, they're not. Chelsea are prepared to enter the race to sign Lendot. That one wouldn't massively surprise me. Um, Sadio Mane is edging closer to a move to Bayern Munich. Tottenham are advanced talks to sign Richarlison for 51 million. Again, I just think that's too high. Manchester City will demand 80 million for Bernardo Silva, so he'll be staying where he is. Uh, unless they're willing to sell elsewhere. Like Barca don't have that, but 80 million for Bernardo is not bad. I mean, it's a great player. Uh, Chelsea have been given a transfer boost as Usman Dembele has not signed a new contract to Barcelona. Jean Laporte says the club says Barcelona are close to agreeing a contract with Gavi. France forward Christopher Nkunku is set to stay at RB Leipzig and sign a new contract. Yes, and apparently it will have a buyout clause for next summer. Arsenal are one of several clubs monitoring Marco Asensio with Real Marco Asensio's situation at Real Madrid with a 26-year-old attacking midfielder's future set to be resolved. Um, Super talented. Would question the application, and he's never quite been the same since the torn ACL. When they first got him, I don't know if you remember, he just went on this tear and he scored like absolute worldies every second week for about four months. It was unbelievable, but he's never gotten near that level since. Um, France midfielder Paul Pogba will return to Juventus, yada, yada. Fulham are hopeful of agreeing a double swoop for Liverpool duo Nico Williams and Taki Minamino. Um, good signings for them, to be fair. Good signings for them. Switzerland midfielder Granit Xhaka has emerged as a target for Bayer Leverkusen. I, I really would question whether that's true or not. Bayer Leverkusen are not a stupid club. Now, look, Xhaka did well in the Bundesliga before. But I have to imagine someone from Leverkusen has watched him these last six years. Liverpool are weighing up the possibility of allowing Nat Phillips to return to Bournemouth on loan. If they do, it'll be a loan with an obligation to buy if Bournemouth stay up. Um, Luis Suarez has yet to make a decision on his future, but Aston Villa are still in the race to sign him. Okay. Serbian midfielder Nemanja Matic will have a medical at Roma next week as the 33-year-old closes in on joining the Italian club on a free transfer. Um, he is well past his best, but he'll probably still do a job for, for Mourinho, who won't ask him to run a whole lot. Juventus are advancing in talks with Atletico Madrid to sign Alvaro Morata permanently. Why? Why? Why would you want to? The single most overrated player of the last six, seven years, Alvaro Morata. Juventus are confident of agreeing a free transfer for Paul Pogba. 
I, you just want it done at this point. Nobody cares anymore. Uh, Tottenham's Stephen Bergwijn says he's interested from a number of clubs in the in the Netherlands. Um, he, he will probably end up at Ajax. He probably will. John Joe Kenny has committed to joining Hertha Berlin on a free transfer. Three-year contract. Fair play to him. He was in Germany before with Schalke on loan. He apparently really enjoyed it. Fair play to him for making the decision to go abroad because he could have gone to a bunch of championship clubs, but he's made a decision to do the brave thing and go abroad. Um, Denmark midfielder Christian Eriksen has decided to pursue a new challenge and is preparing to leave Brentford. That's from the Express, so I don't believe it. Um, Manchester United, actually, to be fair, it was from oh, some spoofer. I can't even think of the guy's name. It was definitely one of the spoofers, though. Manchester United are on course to sign Anthony and Frankie De Jong. This is from TalkSport. This is Alex Crook, also a spoofer. Uh, Alex Crook said that he was in Portugal two weeks ago and all the big newspapers were saying Darwin to Manchester United is a done deal. None of them said anything of the sort. Uh, Chelsea are close to signing American goalkeeper Gabriel Slanina. Slanina, I think it is Slanina, from Chicago Fire for about eight and a half million. Oh no, sorry, for more than eight and a half million. Real Madrid have had a bit of eight and a half million rejected. So Chelsea are paying more than that, apparently. Leeds United are the front runners to sign New York City's 23-year-old Argentine Ford, Valentin Castellinos. He had a really good season last year. He's in pretty good form again this year. That might not be a bad move. They definitely need a striker because you can't just rely on Bamford again next season. So that could well be a very, very clever move. You'd assume he's at least part-owned by Manchester City. Um, But yeah, I mean... Not a not a bad move at all for Leeds if they pull that one off. Midfielder Matteo Guendouzi expects France defender William Saliba to follow him in rejoining Marseille from Arsenal. Nonsense. Uh, if Jules Kunde leaves, yada yada. Look, if he leaves, he leaves. Um, Newcastle are hopeful of challenging Juventus and AC Milan for the signing of Nicolo Zaniolo from. Roma, I'd be surprised if Roma sold him this summer. Inter Milan are set to sign Paolo de Bala. Could be a great signing, genuinely. Could be a great If he stays fit, you, we know he's going to be quality. River Plate have contacted Luis Suarez over joining them on a free transfer. I think he's going to stay in Europe, but that would have been a great move. Paris Saint-Germain have had a bid of £34.1 million turned down for Slovakia defender Milan Sprinier. But Inter Milan may accept just over 51 million. It looks like they want to keep Bastoni, so he, he could be the one to leave so they can bring in Bremer. But um, for me, if you're bringing in Bremer, you bring him in for De Vries and you keep Schrenier and you keep Bastoni. I don't like the move otherwise. Schrenier is a better defender than Bremer. Manchester City's. England under-21 midfielder James McAtee is set to speak to Huddersfield about a season-long loan. That could be a good move for him. 
good manager there, play a decent style of football. Yeah, that could be a good move. He's a very talented young player. Right, folks, that will do me for today. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.